0: We are the Narrators 3, Elisa, Lynn, and Chell, and this is Once Upon a Rewatch, where every plot device comes with a price.
1: Welcome to Once Upon a Rewatch, Season 1, Episode 6, The Shepherd. This episode originally aired December 4th, 2011. It was written by Adam Horowitz and Edward Kitsis, Andrew Chambliss, and Ian Goldberg. Chambliss will come to write 29 episodes for Once Upon a Time. His other writing credits include Fear the Walking Dead, The Vampire Diaries, and Dollhouse. Goldberg will contribute to nine Once Upon a Time episodes. His other writing credits include Fear the Walking Dead, Dead of Summer, and Terminator, The Sarah Connor Chronicles. This was directed by Victor Nelly. His direction credits include Superstore, God Friended Me, The Bold Type, The Middle, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, The Goldbergs, Blackish, Scrubs, and Ugly Betty, among many others. Our title card for this episode is a dragon. All right, let's crack into it. We begin in Storybrook. David Nolan is with his quote-unquote wife, Catherine, outside of the house they allegedly share. She reminisces about an old windmill that used to sit on the front lawn that he disliked very much.
0: Complaining about the aesthetics of a historical house in this economy? For shame, Charming. The single section of picket
2: fence that says the Nolans with like a single potted plant is so strange looking. I think that windmill would have looked way better than that because why is there just a single piece of picket fence in the middle of their yard? I don't understand. I
0: don't know. It's like the the set designers were trying to go for like kitschy cute but like I don't know. To me, it failed so hard. I was like, well, Ferris would never make a Pinterest board.
1: I don't know. I feel like it's like an animal crossing and they ran out of resources halfway through crafting a fence. And we're just like, well, there's two pieces of fence. Welcome to my five star island. (laughs) Waiting inside is a crowd for a welcome home party. As David works through the crowd of guests, he does not remember anyone except the people he met after he woke up from his coma. And of course, Dr. Whale is there, which, you know, I'm sure excited to see that bastard again.
2: If I had amnesia and there was a huge welcome home party, it's like the last thing I think I'd want. It has to be a nightmare for David. Like, damn, like, you know, why are all these people, he doesn't know where he is. Why are all these people here? I, I actually
1: had that thought, too, that it was like, hey, we know that you're trying to overcome trauma. Why don't we put you in the most social anxiety-inducing situation we can concoct for you?
0: Oh, I know. I mean, his discomfort is palpable. Like he it is, is. He's just like I he don't. He looks know like how he's gonna cry. Are in this strange place?
1: He couldn't look more pathetic if he had a sign over his head that said "Help me, please." Like this poor man. Henry tells Emma that the reason David does not remember anything is because the curse is not working on him yet, that his false quote-unquote David Nolan memories have not yet set in. Henry insists that they have to jog David's real memory, so he remembers he's Prince Charming. David comes over, and Henry asks him if he's ever used a sword, which he laughs off. By the way, Henry asks him this because he can skewer a carrot with a toothpick. David inquires after Mary Margaret, but Emma says she could not come
0: henry 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 so cute so devious so the product of his forebears also i do like that henry really knows how to just
1: break the ice so
0: do you, do you he, use like a sword, sword thing
1: he's he's as subtle as a jackhammer you want
2: to stab a dragon
1: <laughs> you're real good at stabbing things i bet you've used a sword. <laughs> Alone in the kitchen, Catherine is upset because she feels like she does not have her husband back and like, lady, you've spent five minutes with him since he got out of the coma. So, okay, calm down. She then confides in Regina about the matter. Regina tells Catherine that she shares a similar experience of losing a lover who is now dead. Regina mentions that Catherine is lucky that David is still alive as they'll have another chance to reconcile. Regina gently urges Catherine to return to her husband at the party. Catherine thanks Regina for being such a good friend before she goes back to the party and looks for David, but he has already left.
0: Aw, Regina is learning that
2: friendship is magic. Regina's like genuine, like not devious smile at the end of that scene is with Catherine is honestly very sweet. Of course we know that like she's gonna do terrible things, but in that moment, you're like, oh, she's touched.
1: Meanwhile, David finds Mary Margaret outside of her home and asks her why she did not come back to volunteer at the hospital, and if he was the reason she resigned from the hospital. Mary Margaret reminds David that he is married. David tells Mary Margaret he's choosing her and not his wife, Catherine. Mary Margaret suggests that the only reason why David has feelings for her might be because she is the one who saved his life. And honestly, bless her, she's trying so hard to be a good person. And this handsome man is jumping over fences and hanging birdhouses for her. And I think that takes a lot of internal strength.
0: Mary Margaret and the motherfucking birdhouses. What is she, their landlord? Did they have a birdhouse emergency and had to call her because some dickhole magpie knocked their house out of the tree? It's eight o'clock at night. Girl, what, what, what are you doing? Look at yourself. Look at your life. You know those birds aren't paying you in nothing but poop and disease.
2: Mary is doing her very important fieldwork for Bird
0: 101. It's important. It's important work.
1: Important <laughs> research for her Bird 101 class that she teaches to the school children.
0: Over and over and over again for the last 20
1: years. <laughs> in a looping nightmare for all eternity.
0: <laughs> it's the worst
1: Westworld park ever.
0: It really is. so <laughs> oh, the worst Delos Park, I should say. Worst Delos
1: Park ever. We don't have fun westerns here. We just have birdhouse construction. Every Yay. day, birdhouse construction. Back in the fairy tale, Prince James is fighting a ferocious brute in an open-air arena. His father, King George, and the visiting King Midas, along with the courtiers, are watching the battle. Prince James wins, slaying the brute, and all congratulate him. King George makes a deal with King Midas for much-needed gold. If Prince James can slay the dragon that terrorizes his kingdom... King Midas makes a down payment by transforming the blade of the prince's sword into gold. Um,
0: gold is two and a half times denser than steel, and yes, I did Google that. Now he has to train all over again just to factor in that additional
1: weight. It's also one of the softest metals out there, so, like, it's fucking useless now. (laughs) Like, good job, Midas. Slay a dragon for me, but I'm gonna make your tools unusable. But shiny!
2: Like, King Midas, maybe this is why no one has been able to slay this dragon. Because you keep turning all their weapons into gold.
1: King Midas and his lackeys leave the arena before Prince James stands and speaks of his plans to slay the dragon. Suddenly, the brute, who we all thought James had killed, drives a lance through the prince's back and out of his chest. The prince falls down dead. Ain't
0: that a bitch.
2: Prince James being impaled is so genuinely shocking.
0: I'm just like, ah! Violence! Violence! wasn't expecting that, even though I've seen this episode four times. Yeah, my mom watched this episode with me, and she audibly gasped and jumped.
1: To be fair, the scene is, like, abnormally gory for Once Upon a Time. Yeah. Because when they, like, zoom down on the poor dead prince, like, you see the exit wound. It's pretty horrible. Yeah, it's all,
2: like, gushy when it comes yeah. to, yeah. It's
1: like, wow, Once Upon a Time, this is a family show. The dead Prince James is taken away as his father says goodbye. The knights tell King George that he must move fast to kill the dragon or else Midas will find another dragon slayer and King George will lose the gold Midas has promised him. King George tells the knights he already called for help. Rumpelstiltskin shows up saying, so this is how you treat my gifts, referring to the dead Prince James, a son I gave you.
0: Whoa. This episode just turned into a very controversial and Fred kink fic.
1: I know. It's revealed that Rumpelstiltskin procured the baby for King George due to his or his late queen's infertility.
0: Oh, never mind. Well, that's what you get for centuries of enchanted inbreeding.
1: No kidding. The king wants another deal, promising Rumpelstiltskin he'll give him anything if he brings James back from the dead. In return, Rumpelstiltskin tells the king he wants the magic wand owned by the fairy godmother who is a patron of King George's family. The Dark One demands her whereabouts. The king agrees and eagerly anticipates Rumpelstiltskin magicking Prince James alive. Rumpelstiltskin tells the king the dead cannot be resurrected. And he lets King George bluster for a few minutes before Rumpelstiltskin reveals that Prince James has a twin brother. Exactly. I guess... That at least kind of answers what Stiltskin is doing with all those babies he's been hoarding.
0: Yeah, I mean, okay, firstly, this scene is Rumpel has most manic lizard wizard nightmare boy glory. Second, the soap opera twist of twins is redeemed by the fact that there is a hard and fast rule against bringing characters back from the dead. There is no Lazarus Pit fuckery here. Third, and lastly, a fun fact, the fairy godmother in question is the gold fairy who Stiltskin murdered in episode four, The Price of Gold. Yeah, I thought that was actually a really nice a piece of continuity.
2: Good job, once upon a time. Uh, so we know that King George is the reason that Rumpelstiltskin is able to find and kill our treasured and beloved Gold Fairy. R.I.P. Gold Fairy, you were better than the rest of them.
1: Back in Storybrook, Mary Margaret is aggressively washing the dishes and talking to Emma, who has just returned from David's welcome home party. She is too focused on what David said about choosing her and not his wife, Catherine. Emma tells her to stop cleaning and have a drink. Emma advises that if Mary Margaret thinks she's doing something wrong, being with a married man, then she is. She tells Mary Margaret to let David figure out his life.
0: Stop cleaning and have a drink is some A plus Emma Swan life advice. Another lost reference is the brand of whiskey, which is supposed to be way out of Emma or Mary Margaret's pay grade. So maybe they found it floating to the shore from a shipwreck or a plane wreck. I don't know. Also, I love these mom-daughter heart-to-hearts. Yeah, the
2: Emma and Mary Margaret scenes are always so comforting. I don't know. I think they're great.
1: Meanwhile, David is looking through his photos, and Catherine tells him he looks different, that he always used to have a buzz cut. His wife tries to convince him to go to bed. David asks her if they can just sit and talk some more. They share a kiss, but David pulls away and tells her it is not right. So this scene deeply bugs me. David makes it pretty clear that he's uncomfortable, and Catherine is like, yeah, no, sure, of course, but goes in for the kill anyway. I don't know if someone tells you they aren't comfortable. Maybe actually respect that.
2: Yeah, I agree. The scene made me pretty uncomfortable um, watching that. I think she went. She went a little too.
1: She she did, and it's icky, and it's definitely a, a theme that I think we're gonna come back to a few times. There's a few different instances of Once Upon a Time where it's like, listen, people, consent. Let's talk about that.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot. There are quite a few characters who need to go through the uh, the enchanted consensual. Crash Course.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Back in the Enchanted Forest of the Past, the slain Prince James's twin brother, the shepherd, is chasing a sheep as his mother returns from the market. And just bless this soft little simpleton. Just bless him right in his fucking face. He just wants to run around being a soft idiot playing with sheep.
2: charming is just like airplane running around the farm. It's just like one of those villagers from Animal Crossing. And it's just, it's so
0: cute. I love it. It's so good and so pure. David is living his best cottagecore life. He is the living embodiment of a Pinterest board.
1: His mother tells him she had an interesting talk with the grain merchant, who has a daughter that would make a good match because she has a dowry that will save their farm. Her son, David, insists that his true love is the one thing he cannot afford to sacrifice, and that when he chooses to marry, it will be for love. His mother tells her son that he can't have everything, which is rich because they pretty much don't have much. But perhaps he can, says Rumpelstiltskin, who suddenly appears.
0: Also, I have to stop and drag whoever stuck that dead raccoon on Josh Dallas's head. It's a wig. It's a, it's a wiggy wig. It's and not like, good. Also, yeah. And it also, good. not
2: good. And his the capelet is also a choice. It's a choice.
1: <laughs> many, a choice. many choices were made on this poor simpleton shepherd. David is aghast to learn about the twin brother his parents gave in a deal to Rumpelstiltskin in order to save the farm. Rumpelstiltskin explains to David that King George needs someone to slay a dragon, that even though David is no dragon slayer, the knights will do the dirty work, but it'll be David, masquerading as his twin, who comes home as the conquering hero. Should David survive and succeed, his mother shall never want for anything for the rest of her life. David says he really does not have a choice, to which Rumpelstiltskin retorts, Everyone has a choice, dearie. Just make sure it's the right one.
0: It is worth noting Rumpelstiltskin's demeanor in this scene. He's drinking from his flask as David's mother recounts the story of giving up one of her sons and how it broke her late husband, a guilt that he took with him to the grave. Rumpelstiltskin is very clearly not relishing his part in this and is likely drinking away any pangs of guilt. We the audience don't know why this is a particularly difficult deal for him quite yet, Only that he is able to turn on his dark one charm. Once he and David are alone to discuss the current deal at hand. I just think that that was Some really um, amazing acting subtle acting on Robert Carlyle's part because, you know, we rarely see the dark one like, you know, let his guard down like that. And, you know, those the, the mother and son are too distracted talking amongst themselves to really like notice his demeanor, but we the audience can see it in the background that he is He is not happy. He's not like into this at all.
2: Yeah, it's good foreshadowing for what we learn later. Spoilers. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, this is the plot that I wanted to talk about um, in The Price of Gold. Because I think it's so interesting that the fake deal Charming later helps Ashley come up with the trap Rumpelstiltskin is is so close to the deal that his own parents made for his brother and him. So like in that episode, Charming is basically using his trauma to try to help someone because he's a good boy. Yes interesting and also if i remember correctly i don't think we learn more about like this specific deal the deal about david and james and the circumstances around it until i think a few seasons later it's a while before three visits yeah correct
0: like yeah they're not going to touch on this again for quite a while yeah
1: in Storybrooke, mary margaret is at granny's diner when dr whale who can fuck right off shows up and asks if she quit the volunteer position at the hospital because of him referring to their less than spectacular date The doctor leaves just as Regina shows up to quote-unquote talk, and by talk, we mean bully Mary Margaret about David. She warns Mary Margaret that David and her do not belong together before revealing that David left his wife. Regina also warns our cursed Snow White that she should stay away because David is fragile, and Mary Margaret is very close to destroying many lives. Ma'am, she is literally just sitting in a diner. Please calm down.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I do have to say, playing devil's advocate here, I appreciate that Regina goes from friendless
1: to ride or die
0: in 12 hours. Need a bad girl's vital shower? Call Regina. Found yourself in the drunk take after getting thrown out of the rabbit hole after last call? Call Regina. Need to bury a body by the light of the moon? Call Regina. (laughs) She's your best fucking friend.
1: (laughs) Whether you want her or not.
2: (laughs) (laughs) She's outside your window
1: better change the locks (laughs) (laughs) meanwhile in the enchanted forest king midas approaches the new prince james who looks so handsome in his armor So so handsome and tells him if he kills the dragon he will be a legend prince charming is nervous because he doesn't know how to fight with a sword let alone slay a dragon the knights reassure him that he'll be outside the cave as they kill the dragon As long as Midas sees the head of the slain dragon, he will believe Charming did the deadly deed and it will be sufficient enough to save the kingdom. As Prince Charming and the knights approach the dragon's lair high up in the mountains, they pass many charred remains of unsuccessful dragon slayers. Four knights go into the cave, while two remain to guard the fake prince. When Charming asks if they knew his brother well, they reply, Yes, we knew him well. He was the bravest man I ever met. A fireball and shrieks of terror roar from the cave. Charming is held back from helping, but breaks free and manages to drag the head knight away from the cave, though the golden sword is swept away as the dragon flies out and roasts the other two knights. The dragon spots Prince Charming and starts going after him. He grabs the fallen golden sword, runs to entrap the dragon's neck in a narrow cave, and chops his head off with the golden sword. There he goes, that beautiful idiot. Bless his heart.
0: Aw, poor dragon. He was just doing what dragons do. We're just having a nice time.
1: To be fair, he was just defending his home against invaders.
0: True. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't actually do a very good job of showing the dragon terrorizing King Midas's kingdom. I'm like,
1: no, because you really don't see the carnage until you get up to, like, basically his front door. Yeah. And at that point, it's just like people keep breaking and entering.
0: Yeah. yeah. He's not, he's not smog, man. He's not like driving the dwarves out of their out of their no, homeland and taking all their gold and then burning local villages just for shits and giggles.
1: He just wants people to stay out of his house.
0: Poor I God. mean, they, really?
1: Yeah, back in Storybrooke. David shows up at Mary Margaret's classroom. She is upset that he left his wife. David tells Mary Margaret his wife Catherine needs someone to feel for her like he feels for Mary Margaret. To her credit, Mary Margaret tries to put him off. David asks Mary Margaret to meet him at the toll bridge where she found him at 8 p.m. that evening. He promises that if she does not show, he will leave her alone forever. But if she shows, he will know that she returns his affections.
0: Storybrooke School has all kinds of lackadaisical security. This is a post 9-11 world, people. Get a sign-in sheet. I've worked at daycare facilities and elementary schools. You can't get in either without going through two sets of security guards, a retina scan, and maybe a blood sample. Also, I would have loved if Mary Margaret pointed at David as the kids were filing in and shouted, Stranger Danger, attack!
1: Well, that would have been wonderful. And honestly, (laughs) I completely agree with you that these are some crap forms of security. Because, I mean, even back in our day, which I'm not disclosing when, I wasn't even able to be released to my mother when she tried to pick me up from elementary school because our last names were different. And they just let this rando guy... Who no one knows because he's been in a coma forever. Just wander into the children.
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess the start of them appearing there was supposed to be the '80s, right? So I think they were pretty, pretty. They were a little more. Yeah, alike. yeah. It's 1983, so yeah, yeah. I guess they have like
0: 1983 like standard, like security standards, which is not at all like they'll definitely like let any stranger, you know, pick up a pick up a kid
1: from school. <laughs> Good job, Storybrooke.
0: Good job. That's what all those uh, after school specials were about, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Just don't let amnesiacs in your school.
0: I think that
2: I do like about the school though is that I thought it was a really nice touch that like Mary's classroom has like these tree silhouettes all on this like one like frosted glass wall. I think it's a really nice set design um to have Mary Margaret like in this you know this forest essentially
0: uh in an area that's one of her safe spaces um I thought that was a nice touch. Yeah it's very it's very thoughtful though, um You can tell like it's it's probably the same set designer who also designed Regina's house and her office, but clearly not the same person who decided to do the exterior of the Nolan's house. No,
1: (laughs) who only had enough resources for three pieces of fence. Yeah, (laughs) the scene cuts to the station where stupid handsome Graham beautiful Graham perfect Graham brings Emma donuts and asks her to work the night shift for him. He volunteers in an animal shelter and needs to feed the dogs for the shelter supervisor who is sick.
0: He volunteers at an animal shelter. Oh. I
1: know.
0: <laughs> Why are all the hot ones cursed and fictional? Such a shame.
1: Emma agrees, easily swayed by his stupid handsomeness and donuts. Mary Margaret shows up at the police station and tells Emma that David left his wife Catherine. She relays to Emma that David wants to meet her that night. She asks Emma what to do and Emma tells her to go and meet David because he's made a clear choice. I really love in this scene that Mary Margaret is like, but Regina might get mad at me if I do this. And Emma is just like, Regina can suck a fuck. I have a bear claw. Yeah,
2: I just, I really love Emma being like, go for it. He did actually leave her for you. And then like with like this casual conviction, like eating a donut. Ah, oh, so
0: good. I love her. Yeah, there's really no reason to be afraid of Regina. Emma has a chainsaw, and she is not afraid to use it.
1: Stupid sexy Emma. Stupid sexy
0: Emma. (laughs) Stupid sexy Emma.
1: We cut to David staying at Granny's bed and breakfast. He keeps an eye on the clock, even as he worries at his wedding ring.
0: Man, Granny's B and B has like doubled in business these last
1: couple of weeks. I know she's had like a whole three people. Back in the Enchanted Forest, King George and King Midas preen over the head of the dragon, now turn gold by the Midas touch. Charming whispers to George, asking when he may return home, but George is like, dude, not now. Midas addresses Prince Charming, saying he has earned his respect and dares Prince Charming to dream big as he once did, and goes on to reveal that he'd been looking for someone to unite their kingdoms worthy enough to marry his daughter Abigail. This dude is really like, I promised to auction my child off to the dude that could hit stuff the best. And that's you, you poor bastard.
0: Oh God. And she comes out and it's like feathers,
1: drink, drink, drink. Yeah. I'm real glad we get to see that stupid feathered monstrosity of a dress again. It's really so very classy.
2: And we get to see it in motion. So we get to see the way the chunky neckline of the dress like wobbles.
1: It's not great. It's not great.
0: i feel like it should be like have like a platform on it and like have like like cocktails or something yeah
1: (laughs) and it has like really adds to the element of fantasy with its super obviously elastic straps fantasy elastic
2: fantasy elastic enchanted elastic
1: (laughs) enchanted elastic found only in the enchanted forest except no substitutions at the fantasy costco (laughs) where all your dreams come true moving on he offers abigail's hand in marriage to the prince Prince Charming is humbled, but begins to decline the offer when his father grabs him aside and tells him he must marry her. If he chooses not to, he'll be responsible for the destruction of everyone and everything in their kingdom. King George also threatens to kill him and his mother. Stupid fucking Caleb from the OC. Yeah,
2: I just, uh, I want to say that King George is the worst. I mean, Alan Dale has always plays assholes so frequently, and like, I just want David to tell him like, "I may like my Chardonnay, but I'm not gonna die alone," and that's more than I can say for you. And then just go back
1: to his goat. These rants are gonna be lost in anyone who didn't watch The OC.
0: Damn, this is a side of Alan Dale that is so uncomfortable for me to watch because he's the loving grandfather in Little Miss Sunshine and I carried that version of him in my heart. It's a different Alan, isn't it? I thought it was Alan Dale. Isn't it Alan
2: Ark? Oh, Alan Adam. Arden. Well, no, then yeah. this is Alan Arden. No, this is Alan Dale. This is Alan Dale. This is Alan
1: Dale. Do we need an IMDb break?
2: <laughs> this is the, the
0: Chell needs needs to have a schooling again.
2: Yeah, it's Alan Alda is Little Miss Sunshine.
0: This is, oh, he's the enemy from Pete's Dragon. Oh, Jim um, Dale. God damn Jim it. <laughs>
1: To be fair, that's pretty close. Yeah. They're both Dale's.
2: Yeah. Alan Dale is just like an (laughs) evil bastard in like everything he's
1: in. Yeah. I was going to say, I was so surprised by your comment because I was like, I don't think I've ever seen seen this man be nice in anything. (laughs) I was about to be like, what have you watched him be nice in? Everything I've ever seen him in. He's been a colossal jerk.
0: Yeah, I guess so. Oh my God. No fucking way. He was on Neighbors. He was on Neighbors for that many years. Holy shit. (gasps) He was in the killing. Oh my God. Oh shit, he was in Entourage as John Ellis. Oh, Charles Widmore. Wow, you're right. What a prick.
1: I, I have like, I. Yeah, only anytime I people. see him show up in things, it's all like as soon as he enters the scene, I'm like, oh, can't wait to see how much of a bastard you're going to be in this one. Anyway, we return to Storybrooke. It's 7.45 PM and David sets out to find the toll bridge with a map in his hands. On the way, he encounters Regina. He asks her for directions, a terrible move, saying he is meeting someone. She realizes who he is looking for, and David tells her he cannot change his feelings. Regina gives him instructions to the toll bridge and wishes him luck.
0: Danger. Danger, David Nolan. Do not trust.
1: Meanwhile, Mary Margaret is waiting at the toll bridge for David. David is lost and goes into Mr. Gold's pawn shop for accurate directions. And lucky us, we get to see the goddamn Nightmare Peasant dolls from the previous episode again. I was really worried I'd never have to see those cursed things again.
2: They are so haunting. So haunting. So haunting. <laughs>
1: They're... I could spend this whole episode talking about how much I hate them, but I think I spent a lot of the previous episode doing that, so I don't want to beat a dead horse. David is transfixed by the glass unicorn mobile when Mr. Gold comes to the front of the shop and says, Charming.
0: Aw, so cute. Testing the waters. Didn't work, but good cover.
1: Mr. Gold gives David the correct directions, and on David's way out, he sees a decorative windmill that he inquires when Mr. Gold got it. Mr. Gold replies evasively, that has been gathering dust forever. David tells him the windmill used to belong to him and that he remembers. Mr. Gold grins as David makes his way out. 90% of this scene, Gold has absolutely no time for David. He's just like, Sir, this is a business. Either buy something or get your himbo ass out of my store and quit touching everything. (laughs) You break it,
0: you buy it, David. (laughs) Actually, you know, here's the thing. I don't understand why Mr. Gold is grinning. It's like, no. No, he re- he's saying he remembers, but it's it's not the memories you want him to remember. You dumbass. Like, I mean, maybe smiling? he's just no. This is bad.
1: Maybe nah. he's just smiling because the himbo's leaving. He's
0: Maybe like, maybe he just he's just finally but... like happy to see his bestie like up and about and not like in a coma. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm going with he's like finally he is leaving. He can no longer put fingerprints over every fucking piece of inventory here. <laughs>
0: he's like yeah he's walking i can torture him again
1: <laughs> i was getting so bored in the fairy tale charming returns to his mother who is overjoyed that he survived the dragon she's excited about how good he looks and how he looks like a prince
0: yeah he looks good now that they finally took that fucking raccoon the dead <laughs> raccoon pelt off his brain pan and gave him a decent haircut
1: who knew all you had to do to make a man handsome is snatch his wig?
0: Yeah, he looks good now that they finally took that fucking
1: raccoon.
0: The dead <laughs> raccoon pelt off his brain pan and gave him a decent haircut.
1: Who knew all you had to do to make a man handsome is snatch his wig? <laughs> she tells Charming that the king has kept his word. The house and farm have already been approved upon. Charming tells his mother that Midas wants to unite the kingdoms with marriage to Abigail. His mother says he was right to refuse the offer, assuming he turned down Midas' offer, as he did to the grain merchant's daughter. But in order to save the whole kingdom through the deception they played on King Midas, he must take James's place in full, and Mary Midas's daughter, Abigail. He emphasizes that no one can truly know his identity, and he cannot put his mother at risk. Therefore, he can never see her again. He only came to say goodbye. This poor, sweet, beautiful himbo. He just wants to see his mama and hang out with sheep, and now he's got to marry a feather-obsessed battle axe.
2: David looks so handsome and sad here. I love enchanted forest, David.
1: His mother gives him her ring, the ring we see from Snow Falls, saying the ring follows true love wherever it goes. They embrace and say farewell. In Storybrooke, David finally shows up at the toll bridge and Mary Margaret is waiting. We see a close-up of her wearing the same peridot encrusted ring. David tells her he remembers everything. Mary Margaret asks if he loves his wife and he says he doesn't know, although he knows he once did and that he has to honor that. He tells her that he still has intense feelings for Mary Margaret, but he's going back to his wife because it is the right thing to do. Mary Margaret is hurt and upset, telling David the right thing to do was to not lead her on. She leaves the bridge hurriedly in disappointment and tears. David, you made this poor girl stand out here in the cold in her cute little outfit. She should hit you in the head with a rock, you know, for old time's sake.
0: Tell him, Mary Margaret, do not let him get away with that tomfoolery. I know it's the curse, but goddamn... Jennifer is acting here. It just really gets to me like she's
2: she's so sad and angry, but she's still like smiling because that's like what she's supposed to do. And uh, it really breaks my heart. Poor Mary Margaret.
1: Patrolling the streets on the night shift, Emma is driving and spies a dark figure escaping from the second story window of the mayor's home. She hits the dark figure walking out the driveway with a baton that is revealed to be stupid, handsome Graham. Perfect Graham. Wonderful Graham. Emma questions what type of volunteering the Graham does, discovering that Regina and the sheriff are sleeping together.
0: Stupid handsome Graham got caught doing the creep of shame post-booty call.
1: Emma Swan will kneecap a man with zero (laughs) provocation, and I think that's wonderful.
2: Handsome Graham leaping out of Regina's window is so extra- And, like, Emma's so good in her delivery on this scene. She's
0: utterly fucking horrified.
1: Horrified. Stupid handsome Graham tells her he snuck out of the window because Regina does not want Henry to know they are sleeping together. Disgusted, Emma hands him the keys to the car, saying she is done with the night shift, and walks off. Meanwhile, David rings the doorbell to his home, and Catherine answers the door. David tells her that he remembers everything triggered from the windmill he allegedly hated. He recalls they were not in a good place when he walked out, needing space, and subsequently got into his accident. He tells her they have work to do, but he wants to see what happens. In the Enchanted Forest, Prince James and Princess Abigail are hand in hand as they approach their respective fathers. King George pulls Charming aside, proud that his quote-unquote son made the right decision. King George calls Charming son, and Charming calls him father. Abigail does not look pleased with Prince James, and King George tells him to smile as he is on the road to true love. Foreshadowing! Prince Charming and Abigail are in the carriage driving as Snow White is hiding in the trees, bringing us to the beginning of snowfalls.
2: This lovely forest road scene following that CG castle courtyard scene really illustrates how visually jarring this show can be. And makes me wish they had had the budget for practical sets so bad. Because when it is live locations, when it is practical sets, it looks so nice. And just so sad they had to work with the budget constraints of, of using these CG fantasy
0: environments. Ugh, I mean, that mouse is a harsh miser. This is a post-Game of Thrones world. Throw some coin at this shit.
1: In Storybrook, Dr. Whale... Mm. Let's all take a moment and groan about Dr. Whale. Mm. Dr. Whale enters Granny's diner where Mary Margaret is sulking over a drink. Rough day? He asks, to which she says she doesn't feel like talking. Dr. Whale says it's easier to talk to someone whose opinion does not matter, which is one of the only accurate things he ever says, prompting Mary Margaret to open up. Dr. Whale cannot empathize, saying he's never done what's expected of him because it keeps life interesting. He offers to buy her a drink. She says he can buy her too. End credits. Jerk alert. Mary
0: Margaret, you are better than this.
1: Honestly, please, Mary Margaret, go home with, like, pretty much anyone else in the entire town.
0: Hey, Margaret, no,
2: you are so much better than him. Remember, Dr. Whale is the worst. He's the worst. I I do like this episode. Um, it's nice to see more more about David, more about Charming. I think the soap opera twist with twins is is unexpected, very soap opera, but it works here. Uh, it's got a love triangle, a love square, a love, a lot of sides and a lot of amnesia all around. Um, and it's got a lot of bad choices.
1: <laughs> That's for sure. That's for sure.
2: Costume wise, um, I like in the, in the opening scene we've got amnesia David's like popped collar. Um, and I think it's a really nice visual parallel to his princely outfits. Um, it kind of shows like he's still like out of sync with the curse. Um, he's He's got this this princely collar that kind of sets him apart and I think no, he pulls I, it off well, I like it.
0: I didn't even notice. I wanna actually now go back and look at that opening scene just for that.
2: Yeah, it's it's a nice, I, I, like, I see what they did there.
0: I, I thought it was nice.
1: I was too distracted by how handsome he was to really notice what he was wearing. He I will fully very admit that. Handsome.
0: Josh Dallas recently posted his, like, a selfie with his quarantine hair. It's so foofy. <laughs> Go look it up. It's, it's quite wonderful.
1: I'm, I'm um. going to have to because he's so, <laughs> yeah. handsome.
0: so handsome. So
2: handsome. Unfortunately, we get the return of that blue feather dress this episode on Princess uh. Abigail. And now we get to see the weird way that that collar moves when she walks. So we get to enjoy its weirdness even more this time with its little wobble
1: and it's fantasy elastic from fantasy costco <laughs>
2: um and then of course we already talked about this but shepherds david's look is a choice i mean he still looks adorable in it um while he chases that goat that that sheep um he's a soft lad and we love him but that that wig and that like multi textural fabric capelet I, i'm not quite sure <laughs> what they were going for there
1: i know we're going on, for but- a soft idiot
0: I guess that's, yeah, it works.
1: And to I, their credit, they made that.
0: I have a coonskin cap that I wear unironically. And I will wear it to Disneyland, Ren Faire, and 4 a.m. truck stops over in Bucky's in Texas. And I am not embarrassed by this hat. I love it so much. But my lord, whatever dead animals hide pelt that they put on that poor man's head is an atrocity to both josh dallas and that animal that corporeal animal it, it definitely died, looked like road Die for some costume department's sins
2: it makes me think of um i don't know if anyone listens to the podcast how did this get made but but june on that podcast uh has this thing she says called wiggy wigs in a movie when someone's wig is so obviously a wig it's a wiggy wig and that friends was a wiggy wig <laughs>
1: That was a very wiggy wig. It made, it made me think of the King of the Hill episode where all of Luann's beautician friends make her a wig out of remnant wigs. And she's immediately after like, oh, they made me a wig. She just goes, throw it out. <laughs> Next time on Once Upon a Rewatch, one of the town's residents begins to remember their fairy tale past and Storybrooke mourns the loss of one of their own. Meanwhile, in the fairy tale world that was, the evil queen attempts to find a heartless assassin to murder Snow White. Thank you for tuning in to Once Upon a Rewatch. We are the Narrators 3. The moral of this episode is hoarding babies is actually smart because you never know when you need a spare. Supply and demand, dearie. You can find us on anchor.fm slash onceuponarewatch, on Twitter at rewatch, and at Tumblr at onceuponarewatch.tumblr.com.
2: I want to say a very special thank you to the master of free music, Kevin McLeod. Our intro music
0: is Frost Waltz, and our outro is... Fairy tale wallets. And remember, all odd devices come with a price.
1: His father, King George, and the visiting King Midas. Oh whoop this along the couriers.
0: The heck? How did that happen?
1: <laughs> it was like the couriers. <laughs> couriers
0: carry all the packages. <laughs> the UPS
1: drivers. <laughs> <laughs> King Midas and all his UPS drivers. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> Okay, let me take that again.